Well, things look a little different around here now, and uh, to me it's a pleasant spite. Trees, wreaths, those wooden trees back there, I don't know who did that, but way more artful and creative than I could ever be. I'm thankful for those people. Uh, but the Christmas season is upon us. Even the music that we hear now and that we worship our Lord with is all about the Christmas season. Got to experience a little bit of that with our family yesterday. We went out in the, one of those wood places where you pick your own tree and after we got as close to a majority rule as we could with five out of six, we cut one down and, and brought it home and the festivities all start. It's a season that I look forward to. I love the holidays. I love Christmas. But it's becoming more and more apparent, especially in these last couple of weeks, in more and more conversations that I'm having with people that that same excitement and anticipation just isn't always there. A lot of conversations start with, oh, I, I'm excited for this and this and this. And then we get to a little word, but. And then there's another part of this conversation. I sat down with a good college friend of mine, uh, probably about a week and a half ago, the day before Thanksgiving. And he started to tell me all the, the good stuff he was looking forward to with the holidays, kind of like the normal conversation starts. And uh, Thanksgiving was coming. And it was the next day. And he still wasn't sure whether his family and he would show up for Thanksgiving with the larger family. And uh, he said, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with them. So I, we started a conversation. What's going on? He said, well, a couple of years ago, you know, that we reduced our, our family income. We're now a, a one, one income family. And he said, I, I still believe that's right but it's harder than I thought. And uh, if I've got 20 bucks in my wallet right now, that'd be a lot, because uh, even paying the bills is a struggle. He said, we are struggling right now to even make ends meet. And my family all wants to get together, and they're all excited, and they're planning this out west vacation. They're planning this big trip where they're gonna go somewhere. And he said, you know, that's not in the cards for us, I'm sorry, but we can't cut it. We're, we're barely paying our mortgage. And for many of us in the room would probably think, yeah, I get that, that's understandable. But that's not the response he got. Instead, he's got adult siblings also and, and parents and it seemed to be that they're starting to conspire and, and talk about why are they not going with us? There's gotta be something more behind this. Well, what are they doing with, with their money in this way? What are they doing with their money in this way? Why couldn't they do that? Is it just, is it just us? What's the problem here? So because of this tension, because of having to deal with his family, the next day of Thanksgiving, he's, I still don't know what I'm going to do. Christmas comes, we normally get back together. I'm excited to go by my in-laws. They're good people. But my own family, was, I, don't, I don't even know how to deal with them right now. We're going to look at this today through Third John. Not necessarily how do we deal with things and people when everything's going well. But how do we still love fearlessly difficult people? And I'm going to say that term a few times about re referencing as myself, some of us, as being difficult people. Um, but I don't really like that term. So I, I would much rather be preferred saying that it's people who happen to be difficult right now, because I think we all probably go through those stages. Uh, for me, it's probably more frequent than others that people find me difficult. Uh, 
I don't necessarily want to convict myself of being a difficult person, just maybe a person who happens to be difficult from time to time. And Diatrophes was one of these people who was being difficult to John. Difficult people, before we get into ultimately, how do we love them fearlessly? We want to define what does that look like? What is a difficult person? And difficult people, to start, are filled with pride. Pride says, I care about me before you. Pride says, I'm looking out for my own interests before I'm looking out for your interests. Pride says, I don't care necessarily what happens to you as long as I get mine. And that's the first issue that we're dealing with with difficult people. So we're in the book of 3 John. And if you're going to flip to it, if you see my Bible, this is the back of it, so we're real close. Last book in the Bible, Revelation, if you get to the start of that, you flip one more page to Jude, very short, one more page, and you'll be to 3 John. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week, after verse 8, with verse 9. 3 John, verse 9 says, I wrote the church. This is John saying this. I wrote the church. Often like those conversations that I've had over the time, with my friend, with others, about seasons coming with people who are just ultimately talking about employers, employees, coworkers. Yeah, it works great. But this person, oh, if I didn't have to deal with them, things would be better. There's that but. We found out in the first part, Gaius is doing a phenomenal job. He is faithful. He is entertaining people, bringing them in and welcoming He's being the leader the church needs. But, Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. Diotrephes loves to be first and will not welcome us. He would not, or he'd love to be first and have this overall sense of control over people. Diotrephes, we get this idea that he wanted the power over others. Brings him back to fifth grade. We played a game called King of the Mountain in winter. Those of you guys aren't familiar, this means as a fifth grade student, you get excited when snow comes because they plow all the whole parking lot into big piles of snow, which are like mountains. The whole idea about King of the Mountain is you get everybody on the same page. Here's the deal. Whoever's up on the top, they're the king. Everybody else wants to be king. So if you're not on the top, you're doing everything you can to get that person down. Maybe you're even conspiring with others. You're talking with others. Hey, hey, you and me, you go from this side, you do, we'll get them down. Well, the thing is, as soon as you get to the top, or your friend maybe gets to the top, you're trying to knock him down. The problem in our text is, Diotrephes was playing king of the mountain. The only thing is, he wasn't a fifth grader at recess. Diotrephes was a leader in his church. And he wasn't playing with other school kids. He was playing with his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he would stop at nothing to put other people down because he lacked humility and he was filled with pride. And ultimately, when we're filled with pride and we care about ourselves more than others, we're not welcoming to others. Difficult people are not welcoming. In 3 John 9, we get that final text when he says, I wrote the church, but Datrius, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. 
there's two sides of this welcoming us idea. So the first is, he's not accepting of Diotrephes' teachings. He's not accepting Diotrephes' authority as he's trying to speak in and lead the church. This is John doing this. And which is very confusing to me. I'm thinking, if I'm hearing from the last remaining disciple of Jesus to walk this earth, you may want to hear from him. But Diotrephes, with all his pride and all his idea of wanting to be king of the mountain, he didn't want to have John over him. He didn't want to have the last remaining disciple still around dictating to him what, happened, what had to happen. Because ultimately, if he got him out of there, his status was elevated. Because it wasn't about God and it wasn't about God's people for Diotrephes. For Diotrephes, it was exactly that. It's about Diotrephes. He also wasn't welcoming them, that'd be John, or any of his friends or any of the evangelists or any of the preachers that were sent out at that time. He wouldn't welcome them in his home. So he was not welcoming or inviting. At Faith Church, we have a lot of servants and a lot of people with kind hearts who volunteer to serve in areas to specifically do that, is to be welcoming. Before you even get here, a lot of things happen to set up for a morning. And then as we walk in the doors, there's greeters there. Smiling face, extended hand, looking to welcome us. We can walk in farther. There's people at the welcome desk trying to answer any questions, make us feel at home. There's hospitality folks serving drinks, snacks, serving out of a loving heart. And yet, when we walk into the sanctuary, we have ushers here trying to make us feel welcome and feel at home. But difficult people, they're not welcoming. Their pride takes over instead. Another thing difficult people do is gossip and lie. Difficult people gossip with others, and they'll lie. They'll tell blatant lies. We see that in verse 10. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing. Well, what's he doing? He's spreading malicious nonsense about us. Spreading malicious nonsense. That gives me the connotation that it's more than just um, a common lie. It's more than just a white lie. When you use that word malicious, that has some weight to it. There's something there. He's not only trying to take out John's ideas, but he's trying to take out John's character. And there's a difference there. If you're ever in a meeting where you're trying to brainstorm and come up with ideas, maybe it's for a project or something along those lines, people are all sitting at the table. And there's ideas that are being floated around. And maybe one of those ideas just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Or maybe that's not the direction that you're looking to go. Well, how is that idea approached? There's a couple options. Somebody who's malicious in intent will go on the attack of that person. How could you even come up with that? That's never going to work. What are you thinking? That's malicious. I'm going to go after that person's character, that person's integrity, compared to the idea. I don't know if that idea is going to fly here. I don't know if now's the time. Let's keep going. Let's keep continuing. Let's brainstorm on this more. There's a difference when there's this malicious tone. Not only that, but it, it's the gossiping idea. So not only am I malicious about John, but I'm going to continue to try to get others to be influenced by this. Another thing that difficult people do is they negatively influence others. So not only is he going to gossip and lie, but he's going to try to stir the pot around and get others involved as well. 
he doesn't want anybody who's friends with John even to feel like they've got any sort of ability to influence or have authority there as well. It's almost this idea that Diotrephes has is, if my team is bigger than yours, then I'm the king of the mountain. I'm gonna continue to rally the troops because if I get enough people on my side, then I win. And that means I'm better than you. And that means I'm stronger than you. That's where that pride continues to go in, is that negatively influencing others. And Diotrephes is a difficult person. He's a tough one that John has to ultimately deal with. And because he's going to deal with them, or why he deals with them, a big part of that is because of this one. Because of his influence with other people. I wonder if it'd be different if Diotrephes didn't have influence over others in the church. If he was just upset, if he was keeping to himself, that's one thing. But the fact that he's trying to ultimately create like an uproar, that's a whole other ballgame. And that's where John ultimately comes down and says, I have to deal with this. But before we can deal with this, before John deals with this, there's a couple cautions that we want to talk about. There's cautions when dealing with difficult people. And the first idea is that we don't want to confront everyone. I'm going to read a section out of Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, that talks about who are we supposed to confront. If you're telling me we're supposed to confront difficult people, is that everybody? Maybe some of you are going, I know a lot of difficult people, and that'd be pretty much taking up the next 40 hours of my week. So what does Proverbs 9, 7 have to say? Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. So we're not supposed to confront everyone because we don't want to confront a mocker. Other texts will say you don't want to confront a scoffer because all you're going to do is welcome that back. That's not what your value is in. Your value is in going after and confronting the wise because they'll hear it and they'll become wiser. And we can assume, just by the nature of this letter, Diatrophes we know is a church leader. So from John's vantage point, we know, at least we can assume, that he's one of us. Diatrophes is one of us. He's a brother in Christ. So how do we deal with that? Well, John's going to make the assumption and say, he's wise. He's just gone astray. And if we rebuke him, if we talk to him about this, he may have the ability to become wiser if we do it in a, in a good way. So, we understand he's playing by the same playbook as we are. Mockers will not be playing by the same playbook as we are. The idea that if I leave here today and uh, I'm on my way home and somebody cuts me off in my car, they're being a difficult person. But I don't think I want to follow them all the way home to be able to rebuke them for their pride in thinking they had to be first and cut me off. A brother and sister in Christ who is going through some stuff and becoming a difficult person, maybe then we do it then. Other cautions. We see in others our own faults. The things that bother us the most about others, we have to, we have to take a little pause on because sometimes those are the things 
that we ourselves are doing. Have you ever heard of a, a mom, and uh, sorry to any teenage daughters out there, but a mom with a teenage daughter who can say something to the effect of, you know what, I don't even know how to deal with her anymore. She is so difficult. She is so stubborn. She is just hard to get through. She's so thick-skulled. It's like we're oil and water. We just butt heads all the time. Well, in many cases, I think it's more like oil and oil. As we, as we start to unpack that, sometimes people are like, yeah, I just hate that stubbornness. Well, where do you think she gets that from? Hmm. So how do we deal with that? Because we don't want to be the one to try to tell somebody to stop doing something that we're actually doing. There's a, an idea in the Bible that says, you don't want to point out your brother, the speck in your brother's eye, if you've got a log in yours. It's this idea. Because ultimately, if you start pointing out the speck in somebody else's eye, and they see the log in yours, not only are you condemning them, but you're condemning yourself as well. And how far is that conversation going to go? You know, it's kind of like this idea, and I don't know if anybody else has ever been in this scenario before, um, but this guy I know probably has done it in the past. Too recent. Uh, if you've ever had children that you've told something for, like, the 37th time in a row, and they are uh, arguing and bickering, and you don't know why that's still going on. And you come into the room, and they're yelling at each other, and the door opens, and you look at them, why are you yelling at each other? Stop it. Treat them lovingly and caringly. Why do you think it's okay to yell? It's never okay to yell. Let me, let me get that log out of there before I, I continue so I don't seem like I'm not only condemning them, but condemning myself. So we have to be careful what we see in others happens to be sometimes the faults that we also have as well. In the last caution, we want to proceed out of love and not retribution. In the same way we had to check ourselves with the last idea, we have to check ourselves with this idea as well. Are we trying to rebuke somebody or correct somebody or confront somebody because we want revenge? Because they hurt me so I need to teach them what it feels like. Or if they did something to me, I need to let them know. They need to know how they hurt me. Because I need to get back at them. I need, I need them to know this. Well, I think John was like that. John was known as, early in Jesus' disciple-making days, he was known as a son of thunder. Him and his brother James, Jesus called them, you guys are the sons of thunder because of how John liked to deal with things. There's a story in, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 9 about how, very similarly to this one, there was a group of people that weren't welcoming towards Jesus or his disciples. And John got pretty upset about that. So he asked Jesus, he says, Hey, Jesus, can we just cast down fire on them? Destroy them all? Be done with these people? Because they're not welcoming. He's a man who's going after retribution, not love. He also told the man that you cannot cast out demons in Jesus' name because you are not a disciple. I can do that, though, because I'm up here 
What's he doing? He's elevating himself. He's a prideful man. And then ultimately, Jesus says, that's not how we operate. That's not how we do things. He rebuked him. And through the teachings of Jesus, and through his time of being a son of thunder, Jesus worked in his life. And John is now known as the apostle of love because of how he has written about love so frequently in his books. In 1 John, just a couple pages earlier, he uses the term love over 40 times. Interesting to go from a, the son of thunder to a man who's known as the apostle of love. One of the best, I think, depictions of what this is like comes from when Jesus is on the cross. Well, when Jesus was on the cross, in his last minutes, he looked out and he saw his mom, Mary, and he saw John. He said, hey, John, this is now your mother. You need to take care of her. You need to take her into your home. Treat her as if she were your own mother. That's now on you. If you're Jesus, are you sending your mother into the home of a son of thunder? Or are you sending your son or your mom to the son of love? This caution about proceeding out of love and not retribution is something that obviously John had to work through. And I'm humored by all his stories. I'm humored by the fact that John was a prideful man, probably because I can relate with him a little too well. I love the fact that as he was going, uh, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm humored by the fact that when he told his story about Easter Sunday, the word got passed to him and Peter, and they took off running to the tomb to find out that the tomb was empty. Anybody recall what comes next? And I got there first. I don't know how much that has to do with the story. I almost get this idea that John's penning this thing and going, I got you. And now it's in there for eternity. He was a prideful man. But Jesus did a work on his life. And he went from a prideful, retaliating kind of a guy to a guy who loved. And we can learn from that. Because ultimately, if it comes from a point of love, after these cautions, what comes out of that is that we can love difficult people fearlessly. John approached diatrophies due to a love for God's people. Him, himself, diatrophies, and also all those that he had the influence over. He loved them. It wasn't about retribution. And what did John do? Well, John brought the issue to light. If we're looking in 3 John, the first thing he says, I wrote the church. And ultimately, we can tell from later, it says, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. Gaius, he wrote this letter to Gaius because he didn't receive the letter as he should have. The church didn't receive the letter. Diotrephes took it. So John's first idea, John's first thing that he did when he realized, I've got a difficult person who's influencing others and trying to be the king of the mountain, that ultimately I've looked through the cautions, I know I'm doing this out of love. So what do I do? I pen
pen a letter, and I send it to Diotrephes. I need to bring this issue to light and say, here's what's going on, Diotrephes, and we've got to do something about this. It reminds me of a, an example that I heard of at a marriage conference a number of years ago. This idea about how do we go through conflict? How do we communicate in an effective way? Because typically what we often find that our natural is we're facing one another, and it doesn't have to be just marriage. I mean, this can be any sort of relationship that we're in. Other family, for example, my friend and ultimately his dad. This can be a working relationship. This can be friendships, extended family. But when we're in a relationship and there's an issue going on, the first thing we tend to do is take a jab. So just to use finances as a point that ultimately my friend had to wrestle with as well. Instead of saying, you're spending money on this and you're spending money on this and all this stuff that's just crazy and we can't afford that and now we can't pay our bills, when we realize we're on the receiving end of a jab, oftentimes we have to act defensively and we retaliate. Oh yeah, I'm doing that. Well, look at what you're doing and you're doing this and you're doing this. And not only now are we not talking about finances, but you did this too. Whack. Well, let's jar and go back and forth. When we change our position and say, instead of this way, we each turn here and go side by side, as I believe John did with this letter. He said, here's the issue. I'm going to put it out in front of us. How do we go after this? The issue is the problem. Not you, not me. It's this issue. Let's join forces here and go this way. Because when you're doing it out of love and not retaliation or retribution, you're sending this message. I'm on your team. John says, hey, Diatrophies, here's the issue. I'm on your team. Let's figure this thing out. I don't get the sense that he's writing this letter to condemn John or to condemn Diatrophies. But his pride still gets in the way. Diatrophies takes that letter and doesn't receive it. And often, what we have to do if we truly love and care about somebody, at that point, John could have said, Don, get him out. He's got that authority position. I mean, he's, he's the last of the disciples. I think he's got some respect by most. He could have just said, no, you're out of here. I'm not dealing with you. But instead, sometimes when we're dealing with difficult people and we want to love them fearlessly, we have to be persistent. We have to be persistent. Because Ultimately, to show love to somebody one time is easy. To show love to somebody over and over when you're continually doing things that aren't what you would want, that gets to be challenging. There's a saying that we often had in education when I worked as a school counselor. And I'm guessing it's not that different anymore. It's only been a couple of years. But the saying said that those students who are the hardest to love need it the most. As I would dig into some of their, their stories and understand some of their dynamics, oftentimes I would see students and talk with them because they've been exhibiting behaviors or disciplinary actions or things are going on in the classroom. And a lot of times teachers were on, like, what's going on? See if you can, you can kind of chat with them and figure it out. And oftentimes, man, are they struggling with way more than we would ever want to know. And when we're struggling with that much, 
as a preteen, as a teen, we've been hurt that bad by so many people. There's a wall, and there's a wall, and there's a wall, and there's a wall, and those things get higher, and I am putting you out. Because that's what they're good at. Because that's what they've learned to do in order to survive. So how do we reach them? How do we reach each other who have walls up or walls that are really high? We can try once, and just as many of the kids, yeah, you can try once, and they're going to be, there's been a lot of people who have tried. You can be another one, go off. When you keep coming back, and you keep coming back, and you keep coming back, and show that persistency and consistency, then you have an opportunity to start speaking into their lives. Because some of us who may be under sin, we need people to be loving persistently in our lives in order to stand a chance. And the last thing we want to do, if we're going to love people fearlessly, love these difficult people fearlessly, we need to speak truth. We need to speak truth to them. And I'll talk about this in both just the biblical sense and also just the reality sense of what it is. And I think John can cover both of those really quick. He's going to speak truth. I'm going to name it and call it what it is. John says, I will call attention to what he is doing. I'll call attention to it. I'm going to say what it is. Here's your issues. You're not welcoming. Truth. Biblical and reality. That's a sin. You're gossiping. You're lying. You're negatively influencing others to not welcome others. To not welcome me and my people. Here's the truth. I'm standing with you and just putting it out there. Let's work through this together. And I'm going to continue to be on you. Because not only did he write a letter, but he said, I'm going to come. I'm not stopping there. I wrote the letter. That didn't work. I'm coming. I'm going to deal with you. Together. Out of love. The thing that he doesn't do is what I think John potentially would have done in his early time with Jesus. Uh, Jesus um, got this guy, Diotrephes. Fire. Take him out for me be way easier. He could have responded as Diotrephes has. Diotrephes said to people, you know what? I'm going to send you out. If you take in these people, I'm sending you out. John could have came and said, I'll deal with you the way you deal with others. You're done. But instead he says, I'm coming, and I'm going to call attention to what you're doing. Because his goal isn't to just get him gone. His goal isn't to just be done with Diotrephes. If we look back to Proverbs, Diatrephes isn't necessarily a mocker because he's on the same team. He's just gone a little astray. So what he wants to do is say, you know what, I can make you more wise. You can take this teaching and become better. So I'm going to be persistent and I'm going to speak truth to you over and over, come alongside of you, put it out there and say, let's do this together. It might not be easy. Let's do that. How do we deal with difficult people? Well, let's understand what they are, who they are, and what behaviors they're exhibiting. Let's throw some cautions out there. We don't have to deal with everybody. We want to check ourselves first to understand who are we before we go after them. Make sure we're not just seeing something in them and have it in our own lives. We want to come at it with a point of love and not just 
to condemn, and not just because we want revenge or we want to retaliate or we want retribution. And when we can do that, then we can come after the people in a nice, loving way. We can bring the issue to light. We can be persistent through the trials. And ultimately, then we can speak truth into their lives. Now, what do we leave with? I think there's a few things, a few options. I think we can be maybe thankful that uh, for some of us, maybe we're really looking forward to the Christmas season. Maybe you don't have a difficult person in mind. And what a blessing that is. Sing praises. For some of us, maybe the Holy Spirit's been doing a work. And uh, you saw some of those issues that difficult people are like. Think, yeah, I, I haven't arrived yet. You're like me and say, I haven't arrived yet. I still got work to do. And that's a good thing. Trust the Holy Spirit in that. Maybe you can be thankful and say, you know what? Now I'm convicted. I've been wondering how to deal with so-and-so for a long time. Maybe there's some things I have to work through, but I think I've got a path. As I talked to my friend, he said, what do I do? My dad's being real difficult right now. Gossiping, lying, talking to my sisters, talking to my brother, feeling judged. Is he a mocker? No. What's step number one? Bring it to light. You're on the same team. He loves you. Maybe he's just gone astray. I was able to check back with him after he wrote a letter, and it was well received. And they're on a path to, I would say, redemption in their family. Praise God. May we all be on that path of redemption to be a little bit more like Jesus. May we all love people fearlessly, whether they're difficult or not.